your Bibles with me uh, to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 6. We'll be spending our time in verses 12 through verses 26. Starting to feel a little bit like Norm up here. It's kind of becoming a, a regular a little bit. So it's kind of it's kind of nice a little bit. Um, Luke chapter six, beginning in verse twelve. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples. And chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. May God add his blessing to his word here this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, come to you this morning. Father, weak and weary ready to be nourished, ready to be fed. So, Father, we pray that your word here this morning would just do, would do just that. Bless us with the presence of your Spirit. Father, bless this time. May I be just an empty vessel here to do your work, to here to do your will, and to share your word with your people. So bless this time. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. So remember when you were a kid, remember when you were in school, even kind of maybe now, there was always two groups of kids. You had the cool kids who wore the cool clothes, who had the cool cars. In my day, the latest Walkman or the latest CD player, right? You also had the non-cool kids. They were sort of the poor, the rejected, they were different. 
No matter how much you would, no matter how much you want to deny it, your goal was to be part of the cool kids group. Right? This was the main theme, really, in so many 80s movies. Right? The drive was to be in the cool kids group, to be invited to the cool parties. When well, our text this morning, Luke is giving us the same imagery. Jesus is going to make a distinction between two groups. He's going to set apart those who are of his kingdom and those who are of the world's kingdom. He makes his kingdom values completely different from the status quo of the culture's worldly values. Jesus turns everything upside down. Set apart to be uniquely different. As we spend our time together this morning, I want you to keep this question in the forefront of your mind. Am I set apart to be uniquely different? Am I set apart to be uniquely different? Now, if you turn in your bulletins, uh, you will see what we call the big idea. And the big idea is this, hopefully, in one sense, which explains passage here this morning in our time together. And the big idea is this. Jesus sets apart his own to be uniquely different from the world. Jesus sets apart his own to be uniquely different from the world. And the first point we want to meet, want to, first point we want to make is that this is a unique appointment. Right? This is a unique Appointment. Verse 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all and then he continued all night in prayer to God. Now in these days, and what do we talk about in these days? Well, in verse 11, we see this sort of, but they were filled with fury and, dis and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. All right, last week we learned that Jesus is making a big dis disruption within the Jewish community, right? He's ruffling feathers. He's creating uh, uncomfortability amongst the Jewish leaders. And so he retreats as he always does. And not only just retreats, but he retreats all night. All night in prayer. I don't know if anyone here can really relate to that. When was the last time you spent all night in prayer? Sundown, I start to pray. Sun comes up, I'm done. All night in prayer. The king above all that is and is to come needed to spend all night in prayer because he had a unique decision to make and a unique message to preach. I just want to make a, just a little quick side application here. I think it's important to know. It may be a little off kilter of our theme here, but how much time... Do you give to God's counsel for the big, important decisions or major struggles in your life? Or maybe you give God the bits and pieces and a fraction of the big stuff. Just make note of this, that if the king of the cosmos finds it necessary to seek God's counsel for the big decisions, maybe we ought to as well. Right? So keep that in mind here. Jesus is seeking the counsel of the Heavenly Father because he has these big decisions and a big message.
to preach. And then we go on to read, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So what's the uniqueness in this? So what's the uniqueness? Well, first, they're divinely chosen. They didn't go through any screening process. They didn't pass the draft combine. And they were not the top 12 in their seminary graduate class. They were divinely chosen and given to Jesus as his own to be appointed as his apostles. And this we hear in John 17, verse 6, where Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Specifically speaking of the 12 apostles. And these 12, these will be given gifts to do as Jesus does in his name. And later in Acts, they will receive the Holy Spirit and do great miracles and be the foundation of Jesus' church. And they will take Jesus' ministry to the ends of the earth. The next unique thing is that there's 12 of them. The significance of 12 in Scripture, just as the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes, were the foundation of the old Israel, the 12 apostles appointed by Jesus are now the foundation of the new Israel, ushering in the new covenant. But they're also a unique group of leaders. There's fishermen. Kind of a good business, but really wasn't real sought after in those days. But it made you a living. It done well. Then there was a tax collector. Not well thought of in the community. I thought I was a thief, extortionist. And then a fanatic rebel, right? Probably murdered a few people in his day. Created, set bombs. It's like a guerrilla warfare person of our day to day. And also a traitor. Whom will throw Jesus to the wolves later on. But Jesus knows that. And one more unique thing about these, about these leaders is that they're just ordinary. They're just simply ordinary. Not just ordinary, but uniquely ordinary, for they have been divinely chosen by Jesus. One of my favorite Alistair Begg quotes is, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It doesn't take extraordinary people. He takes ordinary people and uses them to do extraordinary things. Notice they haven't set themselves apart to serve Jesus. They, haven't, they didn't figure the whole thing out and have given themselves leadership. No, he has set them apart to be uniquely different, and their desire is to serve. And there begins to be now a unique distinction between those who are Jesus's and those who are not. Set apart to be uniquely different. Now the second point we want to make here and look into is that this is a unique crowd. This is a unique crowd. 
So I want to ask the question, so who is the crowd? Who is the crowd? Well, in verse 18, it's those who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. This is an imagery of Jesus' amazing preaching and healing. Jesus at this point has gained a great popularity among the people. It is the words of Jesus that draw people to him. And it is the works of Jesus that allow them to share and enjoy in his great kingdom. They come to hear and they come to be healed of their diseases. And also there's those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Again, an imagery of, of, of reversing the effects of the fall. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed everyone. Imagery of his divine kingdom authority. I want to make certain that Luke isn't only letting us know who the crowd is, but he's maintaining the focal point on Jesus and his kingship. Because it's so easy for us to get caught in the crowd. So easy for us to sort of start playing the name game, those and us. But Luke wants to maintain our focus on Jesus and his kingship, as, we, as should we. And the other thing Luke is doing is, is separating the crowd into two groups. Right? You have Jesus at the center, then you have two distinct groups. The disciples, which include the apostles, and then you have the great multitude. Now over here, Jesus' disciples are those who are closest to him, at his feet, ready to hear, to be healed, and to serve. Now we'll see as the gospel goes on, that faithfulness sort of kind of dwindles and Jesus is left by himself. But over here you have the multitude who hang around the fringes waiting for an opportunity to reach in, to touch Jesus, and then to retreat back to the fringes. Sort of maybe just a little bit of a consumer. They're not 100% sure who Jesus really is, and in case things, don't, in case things go south, they're going to hang in the back. They want Jesus for his healing and power and words. They're not really ready to commit themselves to him just quite yet. Kind of comes to mind when, whenever a, you come into mind where a couple that moves in together, right? They both get the benefits of marriage without the commitment. They can keep one foot in and one foot out. But that gives them an out if one of them are not satisfied or their needs are not met. Today's church is too much like that. Jesus is a sort of a move-in buddy. And if he's not the cure-all for your momentary needs, well then it's time to move on to another process to help me have a better life now. They have faith that Jesus can heal, but they're not ready to believe. Is he the Messiah that would come and turn things the right way around again? 
or is he just another prophet that will be done away with? So not only does Luke make a distinction among the crowds, but the words Jesus will preach next will make an even greater distinction among the disciples. So the third point we want to look at here this morning is that this is a unique message. This is a unique message. And two things I just want to note right off the bat is that first that this, is, this isn't the gospel. Right? This isn't the gospel. These are not prerequisites that you have to do in order to be set apart as Jesus' own to be saved. No, they are blessings for those who are called to be Jesus' own. And secondly, we need to know who the audience is. Right? This isn't a message to Christians and non-Christians, though eventually that distinction gets there, but that's not what we're here to look at this morning. It's a message to Jesus' disciples. And at the same time, it's a message to us today who are His. And the message is really simple. Pick a kingdom. Right? Pick a kingdom. So right away from about 6,000, from a, from a 6,000 feet view, we see two distinct groups. Those who are blessed and those who are given woes. So we heard a little bit of this distinction in Psalm 1. That Rebecca read for us here this morning. Right? Blessed is the man who has a seed in the See the scoffers are said to walk in the way of sinners. Well, the wicked are like chaff, and they will be sort of blown away. There's a distinction between the two. The righteous and the wicked. Distinction here is kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world. You need to pick one. There's two different kingdoms in mine, in both texts. And both have four descriptions, and all four are different. The first section is four blessings. These are Jesus' kingdom values. Second is woes. These are world values. So let's look at the first section. So let's look at group one. Right, group one, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And we can throw in kind of blessed are the hungry, and blessed are those who mourn. But blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now to the people listening, this is, this is backwards, right? It's upside down for their Jewish culture taught that if you were poor, hungry, and sick, Etc. That you had none, that you had done something wrong. We talked a little bit that, about that in Sunday school this morning, right? God's blessing means I have all this stuff, so I must be doing everything right. And if you were poor and had nothing, well, I must be doing something wrong, or I must have sinned in some way to where God is punishing me. And we'll come back to this a little bit here. But what this isn't, it isn't, it isn't Jesus writing a social injustice 
nor is it referring to the poor in spirit as in Matthew's account. But part of what it is are those who have been left behind and abandoned. So God's people have grown accustomed to the world and the wonderful shiny things that it promises. And the result is, is those who are to be in charge are more consumed with the wealth of the world and its reward rather than the kingdom of God. We've seen this over and over again in our study in Jeremiah. Part of Israel's indictment for God's judgment is the lack of caring for the poor and for the sick and for the widows. And they even go so far as to extort from them. It's really no different in Jesus' day. They're doing the same exact thing. Now there is some validation to the people's confusion. Israel was blessed and judged by their obedience to God. They were given wealth and they were given land and their enemies were defeated. When they were obedient, God blessed them. And they were, when they were not obedient, God withheld His blessing. In Jeremiah, judgment is coming for all. The least to the greatest with no immunity. But here, God's grace in the presence of His Son, Jesus, salvation has come. And Jesus sort of proclaims this as He stood up in Luke chapter 4 and read from the scroll Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus' ministry. What Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see is that their state of happiness isn't dependent on the nice, shiny things that the world has to offer, but what his kingdom promises. He wants them to know that you can't serve two kingdoms. You can't be full of one and have need of another. If you are poor, you have everything to gain. But if you're rich, you have nothing to gain. And it's not the element itself, but a state of mind and a matter of the heart. A poor person can be consumed by wealth and the rich person can put off his wealth for Christ. So it's not a material thing that we're really looking at here because at the end of the day, Peter owned a house which was significant in his day. And Andrew and John, fishermen, they had their own business. They may not make a great ton of wealth, but they done well for themselves. Then you had a tax collector, Matthew, who had enough money to throw a big party. So the material isn't, isn't what Jesus is trying to get them to see. It's a matter of the heart and where your heart is. What Jesus has been doing is moving those who he, who he has set apart as his own from the world's kingdom to his kingdom. To the world, these are woes. And to the world, Christianity is boring. It's miserable. It's not fun. 
The world will call you a fool, but Jesus calls you blessed. In verse 22, we sort of get sort of the, uh, the contrast of this poverty and this hungry. Because we're going to see that, well, there's, gonna, there's joy, there's rejoicing. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you. Nobody likes to be hated, right? Nobody likes to be not liked. But there's more conjunctions in there. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. But it's not because people just don't like you and they revile you because maybe you have different political beliefs. But it's on account of the Son of Man. It's on account of the King, the everlasting King. Reminds us that they don't hate you, they hated me first. And it should be because we live in his kingdom, and that should make us completely different from the world, not adjunct to it. Right? Completely different from the world, not adjunct to it. There was a group of American missionaries back in the mid-1950s. A lot of people know this story, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, among some others, who took the gospel of the, to the unreached Indians in Ecuador. And during one of their trips, something went wrong and they lost their lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later, Jim Elliott's journal was found. And in it, he wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me repeat that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Because in verse 23 we read, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Set apart to be different. So group two. Group two is, is the world's kingdom. right? But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Notice there's, there's a momentary sort of happiness that comes with the world's kingdom, right? Or you have received. You are full now. You laugh now. Right? The world promises you stuff now, but never promises you stuff forever. 
The shiny things that the world promises are momentary at best, that can be lost and never gained. The one thing they are not is eternal. Again, this just continues to be bare repeated. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus' rewards are eternal. If you gain Jesus, you gain the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, that is yours forever. That cannot be taken away from you at any given point in time, ever. So the question we asked, are you set apart as Jesus' own to be uniquely different from the world? If you are, you have gained something that no one can take from you. And that is the blessedness of being in God's kingdom under the rule and reign of King Jesus We come to the table this morning as those who have been set apart as Jesus' own. Not by anything we have done or by anything we have earned, but by what Christ has done and paid for on our behalf. We come poor. We come hungry. We come broken and we come fallen. And at the same time, blessed by His precious blood. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father,